Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Real World Talks with Lourdes, Natalie, and Kathy. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. On today's episode, we have a very special guest by the name of Richard Booth, who is the Vice President of Sales for the East Coast at Drake's Organic Spirits. Hello, Richard. How are you today? Hi, everybody. I'm terrific. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time. It's an, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. So um, I guess to start off, can you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, your career path, and what led you to a career in sales? Okay. Well, I started uh, back in 1980 with a little family liquor distributor called Southern Wine and Spirits. Um, I started selling beer for them, and I worked through all the different selling divisions and ultimately ended up being the general manager of their South Florida division for 13 years. Um, It was quite an education. So now um, I, I, I was foolish enough to go into the restaurant business a couple of years back and, and uh, that didn't work out for me. So I got involved with this, uh, organic uh, spirits company that's quite interesting and uh, we're off to a really good start. We launched our product in uh, last year during COVID and we sold about 32,000 cases, which is unheard of. That is uh, amazing, Richard. Beg your pardon? No, I was saying that is amazing how much you sold last year. Oh yeah. Um, You know, it's, uh, it's kind of a niche business, but we have some innovative products that that are doing very well. Um, everything is certified, uh, gluten-free, non-GMO, uh, organic, vegan, and we just happen to be kosher. So we cover we cover a, a vast majority of people. I like that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Richard, a lot of our students, I mean, within the last couple of years, you know, the beverage and spirits management has really taken a huge interest. And it's interesting to see how different companies start kind of tailoring their products, you know, to different clients and and, and marketing and so forth like that. So really, really interesting about your products that you have there. Now, kind of rolling back a little bit, taking a different, um, I would say, route. I know we're all so happy to be in 2021. Last year was a really, I would say, challenging, different, unexpected year. Um, and we all kind of sometimes like to reflect. So how would you describe last year in three words? And then how would be the, what would be your three words to describe for this year for you? Well, I think uh, last year, the three words would be family, opportunity, and pivot and family for the reason that, you know, I think there's a purpose for what happened. Um, You know, I think the whole world is always so busy. The last people they think about are their families because we're all moving a hundred miles an hour. And this gave us an opportunity to, um, you know, be with our families. I, I would imagine there'll be a lot of babies born soon or there'll be a lot of divorces, but uh, uh, you know, it, it made everybody think how important it is your family. 
And unfortunately, a lot of the older people from the family that passed away, the grandparents, they're usually, you know, the last people that the kids are thinking about because they're busy with their own lives. And, you know, probably made them realize how important grandparents are also. Um, opportunity, there's a silver lining in everything. And, uh, you know, for us, our brand, our vodka brand was developed to, to really be sold on premise. And so we know what happened with the on-premise business. Um, it, 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 it dried up and there was nothing. Um, there were some creative chains that ended up doing a lot of delivery and takeout and that kind of held them together. But uh, what we did is we took our vodka and I got, I got the independent retailers to get behind our vodka uh, and sell it off premise. You know, normally when you create a brand, the old school way of, of building a brand is you build it on premise first. So people start asking for it when they go to the grocery store or their liquor store. Um, so pivoting for us was very important and it really paid off. It paid off uh, in a lot of sales. Um, uh, the word for this year, I would be, if the three words for me would be hope opportunity and innovation. Um, you know, hope that all this stuff is going to be past us and everybody's gonna, you know, start getting along with our lives and um, hopefully everybody will get along a little better than everybody did last year. Um, the, uh, the opportunity for me is, you know, there's, there's now I have the on-premise business to sell our product so which it was initially built to, to be focused, now I can go out and have our people uh, sell the product on premise where we originally started and continue to, to build it and sell it off premise too. And the innovation part for us is during the pandemic, we have a, a product called Spike Dice and it, it's basically like the old school popsicles that you used to have in your, in your freezer and it's, it's, um, it's got alcohol in it and it won't freeze because the alcohol's in it, but it, it, it's like a slushy kind of uh, popsicle. So we were selling a lot of those because people were staying at home, being out by their pools, et cetera. And then innovation brought us a, a, a product that we created, which is the, the, a hot category right now are RTDs and uh, ready to drink and uh, naturally the seltzer category. And so we created a product called Box Tails, which is basically, you know, the bag in the box wine. Uh, we created pre-mixed ready to drink cocktails in a 175 size in a box that fits really nice on the shelf uh, that has a spout on it. You could put it in your refrigerator and you just pour it over ice and you have instant cocktails, or you can take it on the boat or the beach or wherever you want to go. And you don't have to bring, you know, five different bottles to make all kinds of drinks. You know, we have, we have a mojito, we have a black cherry lemonade, we have um, a margarita coming, we have a mango. So for us, it's, it's, uh, we're excited. We're, we, we created this product and it's going to start exploding very soon. Awesome. Yes, very innovative indeed. So you yeah. spoke about opportunities. 
So in terms of opportunities, what do you think is better, being the biggest fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond and why? If we were having this conversation 40 years ago, there was, you know, probably 15 liquor wholesalers. And so being a big fish in a small pond, you could always have the leverage of that whole sales force because you basically paid the bills. Today, being a small brand, it's better to be a small fish in a big pond. And I'll tell you why. You know, look at a, look at a company like Southern Glaciers. They have multiple selling divisions. They, they cover, you know, they have a Diageo division, they have a Bacardi division, they have a Constellation division. Then they have fine wine divisions. So they are structured to sell all kinds of division, all kinds of products with all these different divisions. And they have the, the wherewithal to back up your, your products, you know, the financial support, uh, the people, um, you know, they, they, they have everything that a small, a small uh, supplier needs. However, being a small supplier, I always think it's very important uh, to have some of your own people in the market, um, you know, that, that have relationships in the market, that have the respect from the wholesaler, the distributor. And, uh, you know, as far as, as far as, as I'm concerned, this business is still a relationship business. And I'll explain why. Um, there's a, a buyer for Landry's, his name is Tyler Fields. 30 years ago, I met him, he was a manager of a Morton's in Palm Beach. Now he is buying for Landry's, which has 575 restaurants. And he's my friend for 30 years. And you can't, they can, nobody can take those relationships away from you, nobody. And so, uh, you know, as you grow and as people you deal with grow, the opportunities become larger. Um, Landry's, by the way, bought Morton's. They own Del Frisco's. They own Maestro's. So we're talking about, you know, very high-end restaurants. Plus, uh, the owner has some casinos also. So, you know, you build relationships like this and, and, and they're, they're good forever. You know, I have relationships with many restaurateurs, many uh, retailers, many buyers for, you know, clubs and chains. And, and so, you know, once you have relationships, you're, you're set. I agree. Thank you so much for sharing, um, Richard. So um, my next question um, is about leadership. So our office is very huge on mentorship and leadership. So we just wanted to kind of gather your thoughts on what you feel um, leadership means to you and if you've ever had a mentor and if you have, what qualities did they possess? Okay, the first question I'll say is how I define leadership. Leadership to, for me is being able to get people to do things for you because they want to and they respect you. Um, not being afraid to do the things that you've asked your, your people to do, your, your uh, sales partners, and uh, not to be afraid to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. Uh, you have to set the example. You have to 
know your product. Um, and you have to be a good listener, I think. Um, you know, but I always thought that first you got to gain their respect and then they, they have to want to do it for you, not because you're intimidating them or you're, you know, you're, you're screaming at them or whatever. Um, you know, they have to want to do things for you. Uh, I was fortunate enough, I had two mentors in my day. I had uh, a fellow by the name of Jay Weiss, who was one of the founders of Southern. Um, he was my mentor for about 35 years. And he was, my other mentor was a fellow by the name of Mel Dick. I'm sure you know that name. Um, they both were very hard charging executives. They were, they were aggressive and, you know, super smart and great salespeople. Um, Jay Weiss was the kind of person that if you met him and you sat down and talked to him, he could make anybody feel like they were the most important person in the world. He had that ability. And he was the kindest, most generous uh, person that I've, I've met and I probably will never meet anybody as special as him. Uh, Mel Dick, uh, who was basically responsible for building the wine empire at Southern, um, I got, I, I worked for Mel when he was in his 40s. Um, today he's, you know, in his 80s. Um, he had, shall we say, a tiger in his tank. And uh, he was super hard charging. I'll give you an example of, about uh, Mel Dick. There was a restaurant in the Bell Harbor and it was opening called Petrosian. And uh, I went over to get the business and I came back, I, out of 120 wines on the wine list, I had all but four. So I handed in to Mel, I all happy, you know, look what I did, I did so great. Um, Mel sent me back. He said, don't come back till you get the, the next four. So I went back and uh, I was kind of laughing, you know, how tenacious he was. I went back and I got three out of the four. And the, the fourth one was a champagne that I that we didn't have. And uh, there was a personal relationship there. And uh, one other quick story. I was living in the David Williams uh, Hotel apartment building back in the early 80s. And uh, my neighbor bought the Mutiny Hotel. Back then, Southern didn't have any business in the Mutiny Hotel. There was a real tough guy named Goldberg that owned it, and we didn't have a relationship there. So the, my neighbor bought it, and I called Mr. Weiss, and I set up a meeting with him, my neighbor, and Mel Dick. And so we were going to get all the business because this guy Goldberg was gone. But just sitting there watching Jay Weiss and Mel Dick actually sell, you know, you don't want to pour this low end, you know, scotch in your well, you want to be able to pour Dewar's White Label because when you pick up the bottle and pour it, your customers are going to know they're getting the finest products. And Mel's like, you know, you don't want to pour that cheap Gallo table wine, you want to pour uh, uh, Robert Mondavi 
and 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 just watching them it 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 was it just amazed me they were so smooth and they they wrapped up all the business and uh you know it was it was a grand slam for us Thank you for sharing those stories with us, Richard. I, I, we, you know, we always value and tell our students how important it is to find mentors, but I agree with you, you know, seeing a mentor kind of in their zone and seeing how they work and everything like that, it, it's amazing. Um, I remember one of my mentors, I used to, she was telling me to sit and watch and we'll be meeting with the GM that was kind of maybe not going with an idea we wanted. And I would see her and I told her, it's kind of like you wave this magic wand and what the words that you're selling them and then boom, it happens. So um, I like again, thank you so much for sharing that because we really do um, encourage our students to find those mentors, especially in the areas that they want to continue to grow in or when they would love to see themselves in that role. Now, going along with the, you know, career wise and working, um, and you've had an amazing career and still doing awesome, you know, there's this whole thing about work life balance and, you know, working hard and trying to attain financial and, and personal goals. What do you prefer? live to work or work to live and why? In the early days, I would say uh, work to live. You know, things have certainly changed. Um, in the 34 years that I was at Southern, it was live to work. You know, I think this business, uh, the alcoholic beverage business, when it gets in your veins, it's kind of hard to walk away from it. And for me, it's the only thing that I know really well. Um, for instance, I told you I got in the restaurant business and that didn't, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is, if I would have built 20 restaurants, by the time the pandemic came around, I would have got wiped out worse. So, you know, what, you, you, you know, what do you say? But um, today, I, I do consulting I work with this organic spirits company and I work at my own pace. I work whenever I feel like working. If I get excited about something, I may end up working, you know, Saturday, Sunday. I don't, I don't work a, a nine to five Monday through Friday. Um, I work when, when I feel creative and come up with some ideas. I get right up in my office and I, you know, get everything down on paper and I put together a plan. But, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm not having fun at what I'm doing at this stage of my life, I might as well retire and, uh, and go play golf or fish. Um, back at Southern, you know, my work days consists of leave the house at seven o'clock get into the office, work all day. A supplier would be in town, go out to dinner with the supplier, get home like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. Um, wow. this, this went on, this was usually three days out of my work week and usually once on the weekends. So, you know, there was, there was many, many hours, you know, extra hours put in. Well, thank you for sharing that. So I think this, um, my next question definitely goes hand in hand with what Kathy is asking you and in terms of um, work-life balance in general and what to look for in a career. 
So what do you suggest um, that students look for in a career, a promotion, raise, satisfaction, or all of the above? Well, you know, I did write of one of my three words earlier, I wrote balance, and I'm glad you brought that up because I changed one of them. Um, another, another great thing that I learned, um, when I was at Southern, I used to meet with our truck drivers for breakfast and our warehouse crew for lunch and our night crew for dinner. And, you know, some of them would come up with ideas and we would take those ideas if we liked them and we, we would put them into effect. And, you know, sometimes it's not about giving somebody a raise. It's about that person being acknowledged that they're part of that team. Um, you know, is compensation great? Sure. You know, oxygen is about, uh, money is about important is oxygen to me, you know, so you need money to live. Uh, career path, you know, I'd be lying to you if, if I didn't say that I had a, a very large ego and I wanted to get to the top. And, you know, by getting to the top, I probably um, didn't focus enough on my family life. And, you know, that ended up, um, you know, hurting in the, in, in, in the process. Um, but, you know, Balance to me is so important. I always preached balance to my sales force and managers, but I never did it. I was, you know, my speed was off and full. And, you know, I would spend a half a day on, the, on Saturday and a half a day on Sunday just doing my paperwork. You know, back then when we, computers weren't really, you know, up and running. Um, we kind of got computerized like in 96 or so everybody started using, uh, email and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think, I think for, a, for a young person looking for a career, I think the most important thing is they need to pick a business, um, that they like and are very interested in and have passion for um, and then I think they need to go to work for that, that company and they need to start at the bottom and they need to work their way up the ladder and they need to cross different selling divisions, uh, whether it be the, the off-premise channel or the on-premise channel or, or, you know, uh, convenience or chains or any of these channels you have to learn in order to run a business you have to know what goes on everywhere in the business. That way, nobody's going to fool you. Nobody. You, when you normally ask a question to, to somebody, you already know the answer before they give it to you because you've done it. So, you know, if you're passionate about what you do, um, you, you, you pick something that you really want to do and uh, you just give it total focus uh, when you're when you're working and, and growing up the ladder. You know, always try to ask intelligent questions of people uh, that so they'll recognize that you're a person, you know, a passionate person about about the industry and somebody that wants to to learn. Um, as far as like platforms that that you you want to do. Um, 
you know, to get yourself out there or possibly get into a, a business, uh, then you have to uh, look towards networking. I agree. And I also agree with um, how you were talking about balance earlier. I, me personally, myself, I have a very hard time balancing work life and um, home life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always working even when I'm at home. And that's something that I need to work on myself. Um, but <laughs> speaking of networking, um, how important do you think networking and connections are? And what would be your top three tips uh, for networking? And that can be either virtually or in person. Okay. Connections first. Certainly connections are, are great. But if you have connections and you can't back it up with professionalism and knowledge, and ability and drive, then those connections aren't going to help you. Um, networking, you know, uh, LinkedIn, I think, is a great place to have your, your profile out in. Um, I don't know how, how good it is for, you know, networking. There's a lot of, you know, it, it's kind of leaning towards, you know, Facebook these days, people are posting all kinds of things that don't necessarily, you know, have anything to do with, with, uh, you know, business networks. Um, virtual, I think the other two things are virtual, um, definitely getting involved in any virtual activities that pertain to your industry. So people see you there and again, asking intelligent questions, uh, so they know that, you know, you're not fooling around um, and that you're, you're interested in learning. Um, and then, you know, any, you know, as they come, come about now with things getting better for us, any public tastings or events that have to do with the, the wine and spirits business is to also be there and be professional be seen, walk up to people, look them in the eyes, uh, tell them your name, ask them their name. And, and, you know, don't be afraid to walk. Don't, don't be intimidated by anybody. If, 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 if I'm a, a guy that runs a business and a young, a young person comes up to me and, you know, comes up, shakes my hand, looks me in the eye, tells me their name. I, I, I then think, Hey, that person has an interest in my business. Hey, you know what? I have a couple of openings here. You know, maybe I'll give him my card and, and see if he's interested in, in uh, or her is interested in coming in and, and getting involved with the company. I think that a lot of people, a lot of places, uh, people won't approach people because they intimidate them. And uh, you'll usually find that the people that in, are, are, are give, give, give across that, feeling of that they're intimidating and powerful, they're usually the ones that you can approach the, the easiest. Um, but that's, that's where I think, uh, that's where I think you have to start. Uh, you know, it's, you got to get your face out in, into the public, whether it be, um, you know, on the, on the zoom meetings or on the tastings or, at business fairs or, you know, college uh, business, you know, uh, business, uh, you know, the handshake platform that you have. Um, 
all those kind of, of, of areas. Thank you, Richard. Um, you gave some really great um, pointers about networking because, you know, we always say there's such a power in networking, but you have to do it right. And I like the fact that you said not to be afraid of putting yourself out there and not be intimidated because I think a lot of times, you know, students or us as individuals may, you know, run into someone in some type of setting and it could be a person and it may be, you know, in a very, very high position, but you say, oh my God, would they really want to talk with me or Am I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a person wanting to get to know them, but I, I think that that's great that we take that intimidation out of there and really just be confident and go up to that person and you never know what from there, you know, may blossom. Now, still talking about, you know, getting into these careers, you know, for a lot of us that when we are in a position or, or in a career, sometimes we get a little bit of, I don't want to say complacent, but sometimes we get afraid of, of change. Um, what advice would you say to someone who's afraid of changing careers or taking a risky move that can help them achieve a, a dream, their dream job? Normally, people don't like change. And we know that change is good. Um, I think that if you're really good at what you do, you can always fall back on it if you want to change careers and get into a different field. Um, you know, certainly the younger, the better. Um, I've known executives that worked for us that left to go work for startup companies and they ended up being disasters and they came back to Southern and ended up having terrific careers. Um, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, if your, if your comfort zone is selling, uh, to restaurants, then, go try to sell to, uh, you know, clubs or, or, or liquor chains and get that, get that, that knowledge of those channels because you're not going to be able to grow unless you know everything about that business. Now, now I was raised up first and I started selling beer at Southern when I, when I first came and then I got into the wine business working with uh, Mr. Dick. And it's always said that if you had a wine background, it was much easier to learn spirits than it was to learn wine. So the people that were growing in the company had very good backgrounds in wine. And, and they were the ones that rose the quickest. So my first thing would be, if you wanna, if you, if you wanna be in this business, is to get your feet firmly planted in the wine business and know a lot about it. There are great suppliers like Diageo and Bacardi that have incredible spirit brands. Uh, Constellation has incredible wine brands and they have some good spirit brands. You know, some people are happy just doing what they do. I know people that worked for Southern for 40 years that could have been superstar general managers that maintained being salespeople their whole lives. You know why? Because they were, they were in their comfort zone. They didn't want to change. These people were, I remember when I ran a team in Palm Beach, the sales force up there was a hundred times more knowledgeable about, about wine than I was but they didn't want to, they didn't want to do that extra work. They didn't want to put in those extra hours. And, and by doing that, I was able to grow in the company. 
because, uh, you know, when somebody brought something to my attention, whether if I was a little uncomfortable about it or not, I would put my head down and, and just run right through the barrier. Um, and so a lot of people, you know, once they get in their comfort zone, forget it. Um, I would say like, you know, in New York or LA or even here in Miami, if you're fortunate enough to be selling wine or spirits or both to, you know, high-end AAA restaurants, uh, it's almost like you're a bit of a celebrity, you know, because you know, all these, you know, chefs now are, 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 are celebrities, they're movie stars, you know, they're on TV everywhere. You know, it's a very, the wine and spirits business to me is all about, all about fashion. You know, look at these brands labels, look at Clico champagne, look at Perrier Jouet champagne with the flower bottle. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's all about fashion and it's ever changing and the taste of people are ever changing. You know, who would have thought the tequila business would be so large and, and continues to grow leaps and bounds? Who would think that, that brown goods such as bourbon would explode over the past few years? You couldn't give away bourbon for 20 years when I was, you know, growing up in the business. It just, it just didn't sell. You know, people drink in Miami, they drink vodka, scotch, a very little bit of gin. So, you know, if you want to grow, you need to know all channels and all about all the products in that company, not just what you're comfortable selling. Well, great advice. That's definitely great advice. Um, change is inevitable and change is good. So previously you mentioned about your mentor, one of your mentors, yes. Jay Weiss, and yep. he, um, there's a connection there. Our beloved Professor Chip Cassidy, he was a wine professor here. He promoted yes. a scholarship associated with Jay here, and that triggered a lot of great memories. Thinking yes. of wine, um, I wanted to know what is your favorite wine to drink and why? I want to take one step back about the change. Um, as you know, the world is ever changing. You know, look at businesses that didn't exist five years ago, Uber, Drizzly, Airbnb, Venmo, Dropbox. So, you know, you can't get comfortable. The, the world is ever changing and it changes faster than it ever has. Going back to, uh, by the way, I love Chip Cassidy. I used to teach his class every semester. I would teach for one day about the wholesale wine and spirits business. And I always loved doing that. And uh, I always loved to see who was excited about getting involved. And we hired many people from his, his classes. Um, I was there the day they dedicated the Chips classroom. It was the Jay Weiss classroom, I believe. Uh, yeah. I was there for the uh, dedication. So wines, what wines do I like to drink? There's two types of wines that I love, uh, Bordeaux, and California Reds. And I will tell you that for me, I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world, you know, for the wine business. Um, Bordeaux to me, with all these big chateaus, are it, it's, it, to me, it's a very romantic place. You know, you see all these big, beautiful chateaus and 
you know, I've been to Chateau Lafitte, Chateau Mouton, Chateau Margaux, Chateau Latour. I've been to every great uh, Chateau Petrus. I've been to every great Chateau and I just find it so beautiful. And, and you drink a Bordeaux wine, you can actually taste the gravel from the soil. You can taste it. So it's very distinct, the taste of Bordeaux. You know, the, the wonderful flavors that are coming out of the red grapes and then you still get a hint of that soil, the gravelly soil. Um, California reds to me, uh, uh, not only Cabernet, but my favorite were Cabernets and Pinot Noirs. Um, I think that, I don't think that California wines age uh, as well as French wines, especially Bordeaux and Burgundy wines. Um, so I like to drink California uh, red wines younger than older. I have had, you know, some 1974 Charles Krug that was, you know, actually tasted pretty damn good. Um, but I think California wines are meant to be uh, drunk earlier, uh, especially uh, Sonoma. Napa seems to age uh, better for me. Um, I think you've, you've the flavors are just bursting in your mouth when you're drinking a, 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 a young Pinot Noir. Um, it, there, there's, it, there's something so special about that. So those, I, I was always a red wine drinker. I would drink a lot of red. I'd probably drink two bottles of white a year and a six pack of beer, but everything else was red wine. You are making me want to go home and pour myself a glass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Richard. So to kind of conclude um, the podcast and the flow, we like to end on a light note. Yep. Um, so we'd like to ask you, who is your favorite musical artist? Well, that's easy. Um, I love Frank Sinatra. And I'll tell you why. I don't think anybody has a better voice or had a better voice than he did. And I love the way that he crossed many different generations with his music. I love that he went through ups and downs and, and he would always come back stronger than ever. Um, you know, he lived a bit of a rough life, but uh, um, you know, in the end, uh, you know, I went to a Frank Sinatra and, and a Sammy Davis uh, concert one night as he was kind of fading a little. He could he had a tough time reading the teleprompters and stuff. It was kind of sad, but um, he did a he did a album, the main event in New York, and uh, what a great what a great uh, album that was. Um, so I just think, I think it was, to me, he was like, a. I would have loved to live in Vegas for a week with the Rat Pack. To me, that would have been the coolest thing ever. I love Frank Sinatra too. And um, my father and, and I's first dance at my wedding was actually a Frank Sinatra song, The Way You Look Tonight. So yes. I love that. <laughs> love some Frank Sinatra. Um, so thank you so much again, Richard, for taking the time to speak with us. Um, this concludes the podcast and, um, again, thank you. We appreciate the time and we appreciate you sharing your insight with our listeners and, um, we hope that you have an amazing day.
Well, thank you for inviting me and I hope I made a little bit of, of sense to everybody. Um, I can only speak from my heart about my experiences and uh, the alcoholic beverage business to me was a terrific career and still is. So thank you for having me. We love it, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, to our listeners, tune in for another episode next week and we hope you have an amazing week.